Good morning, everybody. Great to see you all here this morning. And thank you, John and the band, for the worship. And uh, that last song we will be coming back to in the course of what I've got to say today. So the subject that I've been given to speak on this morning is how to read the Bible well. How to read the Bible well. What I'm going to share with you today is part of our current series focusing on what it means to be a disciple of Christ. What it means to be a disciple of Christ. And so far in this series, we've seen that first of all, it means being involved in mission. It means being a witness. Secondly, We've seen it involves commitment. It means commitment to following Christ as is symbolised by the baptismals. Thirdly, it means stewardship. It means being a good steward of our money, of our time and of our resources. So to those three, and next week we'll be looking at prayer, Today, we add to that list, becoming grounded in God's Word. Becoming grounded in God's Word. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, this is vital. It's absolutely vital that we are grounded in God's Word so that we grow. So that we grow in our understanding of God so that we grow in our understanding of God's ways. It's also vital so that we develop, that we develop not only as Christians, but that we develop in our relationship with God. And thirdly, it's vital so that we learn. We learn how he expects us to live our lives. Now, the result of feeding on God's word is that we will become mature and steadfast. So says Ephesians 4 and 14, and I quote, that we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Reading the Bible is part of being a disciple. See, in the past, people used to seek out a rabbi. And they would spend time sitting at the feet of the rabbi. And they would listen to the rabbi's teachings. And they would even learn his teachings off by heart. And then they would go away and put them into practice in their lives. Isn't that what we should be doing if we call ourselves Christ's disciples? We should too be listening to and learning his teachings and putting them into practice. And we do that by reading God's word. Remember Matthew 7 and verse 24, because it's a bit more than just reading, isn't it? And I'm quoting, 
Everyone, says Jesus, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Okay, having said that then, next question is, how should we go about reading the Bible? How should we go about reading the Bible? Well, before we even open it, there are certain things we need to understand about the Bible. Certain things we need to understand about this that we're picking up. And the first thing we need to understand is this, that it is a library, not a book. <coughs> the Bible is a library, not a book. Now, I'm sure, I'm sure all of you, at some point in your life, have walked into a library. I want you to imagine that you're walking into a library. What do you see? And you might say, well, Ray, come on, I'm going to see books. Duh. Yeah, okay. But it's not just a higgledy-piggledy pile of books all over the place, is it? No, it's not. I see shelves. Bookshelves. On those bookshelves, I see the books. And not only do I see the books, I see labels and numbers in the library. Because the books are grouped together according to their content or according to the type of writing that they are. And they are labelled accordingly. So, I can look round and I can see... History, geography, science, religion, poetry, romance. Don't spend long in that section. Sport, crime, travel, etc. I do actually. I buy my wife romance. <laughs> Not that she needs it. After, oh, where am I going? Get out the hole. <laughs> but all these different books, all these different books, were written by hundreds of different people from different backgrounds, from different walks of life, from different cultures, and at different times in the past. And there they all are, on the bookshelves. They were written for different reasons, they were written for different purposes, but they have something in common, every single one of them. And it's this. They're all trying to communicate something to you, the reader. They're all trying to communicate something to us by using the appropriate style of writing for, to get their message across. So when we read them, we automatically factor that in and we approach each of them in a different frame of mind and with different expectations. So we don't look at a book on romance in the same way we look at a book on history. We know they're different. We know a book on poetry is not going to be like a book on travel and so on. We automatically factor it in when we open it up and we have the right frame of mind and the right expectations. Now, the same is true of the Bible. The same is true of the Bible. You see, the Bible 
was written over a period of 1,600 years by various authors from different backgrounds, cultures, walks of life. For example, there are books written by kings, philosophers, fishermen, poets, public servants, statesmen, scholars, and so on. It contains many different types and styles of writing. So, for example, in the Bible you will find law, poetry, songs, gospels, letters, prophecy, revelation, history, narrative, wisdom, drama, parables, and apocalyptic. And some of the writings will be factual. Some are symbolic, where the author uses similes, metaphors, and picture language. Some are proclamation. Some are evangelistic. But they are all conveying and declaring truth, God's truth, in different ways through different styles of writing. So, as with the books from the local library, when we read them, we need to factor that in and approach each of them in the appropriate frame of mind and with different expectations. Now, of course, there is a fundamental difference between the books in a library and the books in the Bible. The Bible is a unique library in that all its authors wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And because they did that, we see throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, a harmony and a continuity. Now, I'm convinced that these authors didn't know that their writings would one day be included in a library called the Bible. So the Bible is a library, not a book. And we need to remember that because it's very, very important. And secondly, I'd like to say that the Bible is not a one-volume history arranged in chronological order. It isn't. It's in nothing like chronological order. It wasn't even written in that order. The 66 books of the Bible, and I don't know if you, like me, were brought up to sing that little song that took you all the way through the 66 books of the Bible. I could sing it to you, but you'd probably run out the door because of my voice. And it started off, 66 books in God's holy word. You're all looking blank. We ought to know it. I use it all the time to find out where the books are. I know where they are because, as a child, I was taught that. Those 66 books are grouped together according to their style of writing, as in a library. Now, let's get this clear. That doesn't mean to say that those forms of writing are not to be found elsewhere. As an example, the prophets contain a lot of symbolic writing, with some passages even being apocalyptic in style. So it's not just quite as simplistic as we might be thinking. So what are these groupings then? Well, we can now, you can now open your Bible. And you can see 
immediately it's divided into two sections, two main sections. We have got the Old Testament. What does testament mean? Testament means covenant. What does covenant mean? Covenant means agreement. So we have the first half of the Bible, or a bit more I should say to be accurate, is living under the old covenant. And the second half of the Bible, the New Testament, is about living under the new covenant. The Old Testament contains 39 books. And we start off with the law books, Exodus to Deuteronomy. Now, of course, Genesis, which actually you have to remember what the word Genesis means. It means origins. Genesis is also included at the start of that section, which is known collectively as the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch, meaning five books, as in pentangle, five books. Then we come to the history books. That's starting with Joshua right through to Esther. And then we come to the poetry and wisdom books, starting with Job and going through to the Song of Solomon. And then we come to the major prophets, starting with Isaiah through to Daniel. And then we come to the minor prophets. Minor doesn't mean less important, it simply means shorter. The shorter prophets, starting with Hosea right through to Malachi. So there we have, grouped on the shelf of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, those types of writings. And then we come into the New Testament in which there are 27 books. And it starts off with the Gospels, Matthew through to John. And then we have the Acts of the Apostles, which gives us the history of the early church, which is in fact written by Luke and was originally one book, with Luke's Gospel and the Acts of the Apostles were originally written as one book. And then we have the letters, starting with Romans through to Jude, and then we have the Apocalypse, or the Revelation, standing on its own at the end. Now, having understood all this, we're now ready to read the Bible well, rather than as the title that I was given implies, to read the Bible badly. Now, how do we read the Bible well then? Well, let me say at the start that what I'm about to say is not definitive, but is derived from my own experiences, both personally and as a church elder down many years. And the first thing I'd want to say about reading the Bible well is read it systematically. Read it systematically so it flows, rather than just reading it at random. The story is told of uh, the believer who preferred to read his Bible at random. And so one day he opened the Bible and he shut his eyes and he stuck his finger down on the verse and it was Matthew 27 verse 5. Of course, I'm sure you all know what Matthew 27 verse 5 says. Just in case you don't, I will tell you. And it's this. Then Judas went away and hanged himself. And this guy thought, oh no, don't want that. But I'll try again. So he whips over some pages and he puts his finger down again and it comes on Luke 10.37 which is of course is the last verse of the parable of the Good Samaritan and says, quote, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. <laughs> Just a cautionary tale, 
about not reading the Bible at random. Focus on one particular book at a time and really get to grips with it. That's my advice. Secondly, I would also say, start with the Gospels. Start with the Gospels and immerse yourself in Jesus. Start with the Gospels and immerse yourself in Jesus, in what Jesus said and what Jesus did. He is central to our faith. Get to know Jesus. Get to know him more intimately. Understand his teachings and put them into practice. This will give you a firm grounding before attempting to move on to other parts of the Bible. After all, the Old Testament all points to Jesus and the New Testament flows from him. The Old Testament helps us to gain a better understanding of some of the things that Jesus said and did. So no matter how many years you've been a Christian, my recommendation would be to read at least one of the Gospels every year. It keeps us in touch with Jesus. Now my third point on this, on how to uh, read the Bible well, is a heartfelt plea. Please, read it with supporting and explanatory notes or books. Please. My passion has always been to help people to understand more of God's Word. I, sp I have spent the last 20 years writing books, three of them about what Jesus said and did, and presenting Bible studies with this sole aim, to help us understand more of God's Word. Don't just jump into the Bible and expect to experience the full benefit of it unaided. Yes, I know that God can speak through his word without the benefit of such notes. I know that. But even in such cases, it's wise, I feel, to discuss it with someone whose opinion you value and trust. Such notes and books, you see, help you to understand the text and the type of writing you are reading and therefore how to handle it. Which section it's come out of, remember? For example, not taking something symbolic, picture language, as being literally true. There's all sorts of problems being caused down the years with people doing exactly that. These books and notes, they provide information about the background and context of the passage. Do I bang on about background and context at all? Yes, I do. And I will continue to do so because it is so important when we're reading the Bible. Such notes and books also explain the culture of the time so that you can interpret it properly and not read into it things that are not there. A common mistake is to say, but the Bible says this. Well, it does. But in what context? What was going on at the time? What did they believe? What was their culture? What type of writing is it? What did it mean to them when they heard it? 
Now, there are notes available for all our requirements, depending on whether you're a new Christian, or you're a mature Christian, or you're somewhere in between. There is something for you, and something for me. On the back table, there is a display of all sorts of Bible reading materials on there. We are very fortunate in this country, in the city, I should say, to have a Christian bookshop. And Ruth, who's a lovely lady down at the Christian bookshop, will be delighted to speak to you and talk to you and find for you the type of notes that would help you best at this moment. But there is a whole range of them that she's lent me. And as I put on the sticker in a rather forbidding manner, please look, but do not take. Okay? Please look, but do not take. The reason for that is I want other people coming on behind you to be able to look at the full range. Right? Not be deprived of it because some other people have taken them. But when I'm next here on the 9th, I'm preaching elsewhere on, uh, next week, but when I'm back here on the 9th, I will bring them back again and you may take whichever ones you like free of charge. Okay? So please feel free to look at them. Pop down the Christian bookshop on Westgate and talk to Ruth. Some Bibles actually have notes included in them, I'm sure you've noticed. For example, the Life Application Bible. In my opinion, the best versions to use are the New International Version that we have in this church here, the Contemporary English Version, the CEV, the NLT, the New Living Translation, and the ESV, the English Standard Version, as these are translations from the original Hebrew and Greek. Here is a, a word of caution, please. Handle paraphrases with care. Paraphrases like the Living Bible, paraphrases like the Message, handle them with care, although they can be helpful, I don't deny that, they are not actual translations of the text. They are not actual translations of the text. Handle them with care. My fourth point would be, find a time, find a place, and find a way that suits you. Find a time, a place, and a way to read the Bible that suits you. We are all different. God doesn't get angry, I don't believe, if we don't read it every day. God doesn't work in 24-hour blocks. What God wants you to do is to read it, but in a way that suits you. Some people prefer to spread out their reading and study for a length of time on a certain day, rather than spend 10 minutes a day. What does it matter? 10 minutes a day, if that's fine for you, great. Right? It may be that you'll feel like, actually, I could get more into the book if I could spend half an hour on something, you know? two or three times a week. I could really get into it then. Maybe that's where you're at at the moment. Okay? There are different ways working for different people. Other people say, I want to read the Bible in a year. Right? Well, fine. Good luck, mate. I've done it myself. Other people, people have benefited from it. If that's where you're at, do it. Other people find it just gives them indigestion. So at the other side of it is just have a short passage to meditate on. You know, any, I, any way, whatever way suits you, that's the way to do it. But do it. That's the crucial thing. That is really the crucial thing. 
So find a time, find a place, and find a way. Number five, I would say, ask God to speak to you through it. As you sit and read it, ask God to speak to you through what you're reading. This is one of the ways that God speaks into our lives, but it doesn't happen all the time. So please, don't sit there agonising over it. I think, oh, I've done that reading. <gasps> don't think God said anything to me today. Ah, I'm losing touch. No. No. You're being fed. You are still being fed by God's word, by reading God's word. There will be special times when God really will, by his spirit, quicken some of it to you. And it really will speak into your heart and life. And those are wonderful times when it happens. The sixth thing I would say is meditate on what you've read. Meditate on what you've read to absorb it. Meditate on what you've read to absorb it. Now, let's be clear about what meditation means. Or we'll start with what it doesn't mean. Meditation doesn't mean emptying the mind as it does in Hinduism. And that's, of course, what the whole thing of yoga is about. Yoga was devised for you to be able to put your body into a position of such comfort that you do not focus on your body anymore. You can forget about it. And you yoke your mind to whatever's out there. Very, very dangerous. It's about emptying the mind. Now, I'm not saying because you might pop down to a yoga class, that's what you're doing. I am telling you what the root of it is and why it was created in the first place. So just think about that carefully. It's very dangerous to empty our minds. Meditation, scripturally speaking, is about completely the opposite. It's about filling the mind. It's about filling the mind with God and with God's word. That's what meditation in scripture is about. Don't just read the word. Meditate on it. I don't know if you realise, but the flavour of the word meditate is to chew the cud. We've all seen the cattle doing it, haven't we? Ruminating. Chewing the cud. That's medi they're meditating. Yeah? So next time you're passing a field, just stop and have a meditate with the cows. And chew the cud. Chewing the cud of God's word to get every last drop of goodness out of it. That's why the cattle do it with the grass. They want to get every last drop of goodness out of it. And that's what should be our intention when we read God's word. I want to chew this. I'm going to chew this. I'm going to meditate on it. I'm going to get the benefit from it. I'm going to chew the cud. The Reverend David Shepherd, who I have to say was also no mean international English cricketer, said, and I quote, read it to get the facts, study it to get the meaning, meditate on it to get the benefit. Read it to get the facts, study it to get the meaning, meditate on it to get the benefit. Beware of surface, what I call surface reading. Just skimming through it, you know. Surface reading tends to stay on the surface and not to penetrate, not to penetrate deep into our hearts and lives 
to change us. Isn't that what reading the Word of God is all about? That it changes us. That it changes us. Changes our hearts and lives. Which brings us to Psalm 119. So if you'd like to take your Bible and turn to Psalm 119. Don't worry, I'm not going to preach from it all. If I did, you could be here quite some time. Just taking a few verses, 97 to 105. Psalm 119, verses 97 to 105. In where we read these words. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path, so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws. For you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. So, in that song we sang, we talked about the name of Jesus being uh, like honey, which it is. But his word is also like honey, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. So what do we learn there briefly? First of all, don't just read the word, meditate on it. Meditate on God's word, first of all, to allow it to take root within us. To allow it to take root within us. I could say something else about cricket there, but I won't. Because we allow him to take root within us, we will gain, verse 98 tells us, spiritual wisdom. Spiritual wisdom. I have to tell you this, everybody. No root, no fruit. If there's no root, there'll be no fruit. So we have to be careful. We need to put down roots if we, if we want to show fruit. If you, look, you can look at the parable of the sower in that way thinking of the seed being God's word and the which is my response out of those four where does it fall but I'm not going there this morning I'm moving on to number two to consider what God's word is teaching me so that I can gain spiritual insight and understanding verses 99 to 100 and thirdly meditate on God's word to think how to apply it in my life which results in obedience and holy living. Verses 101, 2 and 4. So to take, it, to take root, to teach me and to apply it so I live in obedience to God's word and I live a holy life. Mark Twain, that well-known author and humorist, said these words, and I quote, Most people are bothered by those passages in Scripture which they cannot understand. But as for me, I have always noticed that the passages in Scripture which trouble me, that trouble me the most, 
are those that I do understand. The passages that trouble me the most are those that I do understand. Notice that chewing the cud of God's word, verse 103, brings a sweetness all of its own. There's no other taste like it than to chew God's word and to get the benefit from it. So let's meditate on it. Number seven, I would say mark your Bible or keep a notebook if you don't actually like marking your Bible. Keep a record of the significant verses that have blessed you. Verses through which God has spoken to you and what he said. Keep a notebook so that you don't lose that. It is treasure when that happens. Don't lose it. Preserve it. Remind yourself of it from time to time. And finally, I would say, memorize verses. It's an old school thing to say now, isn't it? But we were always taught to memorize God's Word. So most of what I've memorized is in the King James Version, the Shakespeare Version, if you like. In a way, I suppose that's a version that was written to be memorized more than what we get today. I just wonder how many verses could you give me from the Scripture? How many verses? How many verses could you quote accurately? How many could I quote accurately? Sobering thought, isn't it? We need to get that word in here. We need to store it away in our minds. If we don't store it away, how is the Holy Spirit going to bring it to our remembrance if it isn't in there? So, memorize the verses. In your connect groups, you might like to, and I know some uh, connect groups have already done this, to follow the Bible course. Or of the internet, you can get an American version called the Bible Project. Right? So either of those, why not think about using it in your connect group? So you get to grips with the different parts of God's word. Okay, having said all that, what are the results? The results of reading the Bible well. Well, among others, they are, first of all, that we develop a closer and deeper relationship with God. We develop a closer and deeper relationship with God. Secondly, that we are able to live lives which are pleasing to God as we obey the teachings in his word. Thirdly, that we are equipped that we are equipped to check, we are equipped to test everything we hear. I don't care who says it, I don't care what their name is, I don't care what their status in the church is, check it. We're all human, we're all fallible. I love it when I look around the congregation, I see people, when I'm preaching, see people with their Bibles open. I think, excellent, they're checking that what I'm saying is in that word. I really like that. I encourage it. Don't just take it because I say it. Go home and check it because God says it. No matter who writes it in books, I don't care what their name is, I don't care how many books they've written, check it. And I say that about my books as well. Check it out. Check it's in line with God's word so we don't fall prey to false teaching. False teaching is not just something that was around in Bible days, let me tell you. There's a lot of it about today. 
be warned, be careful, know God's word, know what it means. If someone says to you, this is what you should be doing, this is what you should be believing, ask them, show me in the Bible what you're basing that on. Show me on the Bible what you're basing that on. Fourthly, the result of reading the Bible well is that we are grounded in God's word. So we can face whatever comes our way with confidence so that we will stand firm in our faith rather than fall away at the first sign of difficulty, as some people do, because they're not grounded in God's word. So that we will be able to stand firm because we know and we are sure of what we believe. In conclusion, let me say this. As we continue to read God's word, may our experience be like that of the psalmist we read from earlier, who said, and I quote, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. And let our experience also be like that of Martin Luther, who said these words, and I quote, The Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold on me. May that be our experience. Let's pray together.